Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Thank you for taking time to join us today as we continue uh, our ongoing study uh, based on the book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. And uh, today we will actually be in session 17. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, if you're new to this, uh, a co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show, which explains, if you're watching on YouTube, why you find me uh, inside the Rick and Bubba studio. Uh, also director of themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com is a hub where you can go to get everything that you would need uh, to put together a discipleship strategy for the men of your church or community. We're providing something for men's ministry that has been sorely lacking, and that's resources designed by men for men, uh, including uh, you know 40-day devotionals and resources. We do have some third-party uh, books that we also recommend from other men, the Steve Farrar and Tony Evans and, and Lance Ingram. And, uh, and there's, there's other authors that are there as well. Uh, but, uh, but we have our own curriculum, our own resources that we put together. The 40-week curriculum that came out last year is called The Pursuit, uh, designed uh, to, to take you on a pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. It's a 40-week curriculum. Uh, we have uh, around 157, uh, 158 churches that are doing that. Uh, we have a handful of churches that, when it came out uh, last March, that were still able to work through the year even in the pandemic, mainly using uh, Zoom and some other uh, technology to get that done. And, and some of those have started into our second 40-week curriculum, which is called Real Men, based on eight men of the Bible, five weeks on each. And it is not available uh, for uh, public consumption yet, but I should have a pretty good update on that for you coming up, uh, Lord willing, on next week's uh, Bible study. But be, just go to themanchurch.com and you can find that information. Also, let you know some things that we'll be doing. Uh, one of the churches that's starting the second phase, uh, the second year of our discipleship strategy is a church in Opelika, Alabama, First Baptist Church. Uh, they're in the second curriculum, and I have the honor of speaking there uh, for their second year of man churches. I'll be with Charles Billingsley, uh, who is uh, a fantastic singer uh, and hymn writer, and, uh, and his entire band will be there. Uh, that'll be uh, April the 22nd. You're welcome to come if you would like, if you can be in that area. It is a ticketed event, uh, and you can get those tickets by going to BurgessMinistries.com and just click on uh, the upcoming events. Then we get into uh, our, our men's discipleship strategy. We'll implement that uh, with our first man church at Rainbow Presbyterian Church. That's in Gadsden, Alabama. Uh, that's coming up on April the 25th. That'll be their first man church, and they'll be starting the curriculum. On the 30th of April... Uh, we'll be at Chattooga High School. They're in the gymnasium. We'll be there with Forged Men's Ministry. Uh, that'll be a Forged Men's event uh, there in Somerville, Georgia. If you'd like to join us for that, we'll have all of our resources there. I have the honor of speaking there. And then coming up on May the 2nd, uh, another man church. Now, this this church has already started in Colquitt, Georgia. Uh, Rich Wingo, uh, one of our speakers, spoke at their first man church. Uh, they're now rolling through about halfway through the curriculum. I'll be there for their second man church, and you're welcome to that. Uh, that is a, a free, uh, just just it's free, and also the Somerville, Georgia one is free. Uh, but you do need to check out how to let them know that you're coming. Again, that's May second, and there's other things coming up. But uh, don't forget to get your group together uh, for the Gridiron Men's Conference. That's a, a Friday night and half a day Saturday event, Father's Day weekend, uh, coming up in Huntsville, Alabama. Their second year to host that. I'm looking forward to being there with uh, Herschel Walker will be there. Ike Reichert will be there. Gary Chapman will be speaking. Charles Billingsley uh, will be providing the praise and worship again. Uh, and you can find that information also 
at BurgessMinistries.com under upcoming events. There's a lot more going on. You can find it all there. And if you're also looking for just some man church services, meaning I may not be speaking at it, uh, but some guys on our team might be speaking, you can find all those man church dates, and that's all those are at themanchurch.com. So let's open in a word of prayer. Let's jump right in to session 17 uh, and talk about knowing more, uh, not just about God, but actually knowing God. Lord Jesus, uh, will you please see us through this today? Holy Spirit, will you refine us, convict us, and help us uh, to be affirmed even when we, we hear something today from your holy word uh, that uh, that confirms us and affirms us? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak through me, uh, through all my imperfections, to make sure that we hear your word perfectly and then apply it to our lives today. In your holy name we pray, amen. So if you remember, and I remember this, when Oprah Winfrey uh, began to talk about uh, uh, the one and only living God. Uh, and she said this uh, quite boldly, uh, and God showing his mercy, he's allowed her to continue to do what she does uh, and giving her every opportunity to repent uh, of her making the statement that she uh, was kind of going to go her own way uh, and kind of seek uh, the God that she preferred. I guess this is a God that she has created through all of her philosophical uh, 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 mystic mentors and, and all the things that she's continued to do on her show. But she said the reason why she rejected uh, the holy God of the Bible, and I'm holding up God's holy word uh, for those of you that are not watching on YouTube, she rejected what God said about himself on the very characteristic that we will talk about today. She says, I don't want to uh, believe in or serve a God that is jealous. Uh, she said, I, I, I find that to be petty. I find that to be uh, like a temper tantrum. Uh, why would God be jealous? Now, uh, the problem that Oprah has, and this is the problem that I had when I was uh, not uh, not educated on the Word of God, and I, I knew a little bit about God, but I really didn't know God. And uh, and see, where Oprah made her mistake is she has no idea what God is talking about. She is seeing this word jealous through our lens, through human beings, not through the lens of the Bible. She didn't take time to figure out the kind of jealousy uh, that the Bible talks about, but let's let's be clear: uh, our God that we serve is called a jealous God, uh, and 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 the Scriptures are very clear about that. Now, we when we hear that, there's sometimes there's a little pushback. It can sound offensive, uh, but again, we're looking through it from our lens. So, first of all, we have to go back to the other things we know about God: that He's perfect. So, if He's perfect, then this cannot be some attribute that He's assigned to Himself that is sinful in any way, or it's out of line. Uh, so, so what type of jealousy is the Word of God speaking about? And that's going to be our focus today, that we make sure we get this right. We must not see it from our point of view. We must look at this attribute of God being jealous through the Holy Scripture. Uh, in Scripture, we see God repeatedly speaking of His jealousy. Repeatedly. So, uh, so let's take some time to, to unpack that uh, a little bit today. Uh, so if, if you don't get very far in God talking to Moses when, when he's putting together the Ten Commandments, uh, we only get two commandments in before we hear God telling us what? He's a jealous God. It's the second commandment that was spoken audibly uh, to Moses and inscribed by the finger of God on the tablets of stone if you've never read this part of the Bible, you can find it. Just go to the book of Exodus, and you'll see it there in chapter 31. Uh, and this is what God says about himself in Exodus 31. 
in verse 18. This is what he spoke and then wrote with his finger on on these tablets of stone with Moses. He said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So you'll find that in chapter 20 of Exodus in verse 5. So we see God saying in the second commandment, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And a little later, God told Moses even more strikingly, uh, and this is the one that I, I took away. I don't, I don't know why I've, I missed this in Scripture. The many times I've studied uh, in Exodus uh, 31 and then, of course, Exodus 20 that I'm talking about now, uh, when, when reading about the Ten Commandments and this, the way it was done, I, I missed in Exodus 34, 14 until I was doing this Bible study. See, when I'm teaching this Bible study, I'm learning with you. We're doing, we're doing this together. There's some things I might have been aware of, and I'm, I'm learning more about them. And then there's things that even going through Scripture we miss. You know, the, the Word of God, it never stops teaching. I don't care how long you've been learning it. And this is it. This is even a little more striking than the second commandment. Uh, he says to Moses, the Lord, referring to himself, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. So God assigns that as one of his names. Uh, you know, we've heard him in, in, in chapter 3 uh, in Exodus refer to himself as what? I am who I am, or I am simply. In chapter 6, he says one of my names is what? The Lord, Jehovah. I am the Lord. Uh, these names spoke of him uh, as, as self-existing and, and self-determining, and of course sovereign. We can't miss that. Uh, but then in chapter 34, when he, when he refers to jealous as his name, he's proclaiming his, his name to Moses by telling him that Jehovah, the Lord, uh, is, is, is the compassionate and gracious God. He says, I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. And we've covered this in, in, in other, stu- other chapters of this study. And faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Remember, we just talked about that. Uh, this is in 34, verses 6 and 7. Here was a name that set forth God's moral glory. Finally, seven verses further on, as part of this same conversation that we're all pretty familiar with, with Moses, God summed up and rounded off the revelation of his name by declaring it to be jealous. So, so all these things equal you being a jealous God? According to Scripture and according to God Himself, which which we all need. If you want to know the most about God, you need to find out what He said about Himself. Uh, and and He is saying this equals me being a jealous God. So this is unexpected. The, 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 this word stood for a quality in God, which far from being inconsistent with with the uh, exposition of His name that had gone before was was in some sense, and this is the part I had to figure out, the epitome of it. Are you tracking with me? Stay with me now. I know. And since this quality was, in a true sense, his name, it was clearly important that we should understand it. It's almost like God says, let me summarize all this. I'm jealous. I'm a jealous God. But remember, it's not through our lens. Now, the Bible says so much about God's jealousy I honestly don't know that I can give you, I mean, we would be here all day if I read every single one of the verses. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're going, we are going to go to Numbers 25 and see this clearly in a very harsh way, uh, and we'll get to that. But you can also find it in Deuteronomy 4, uh, 24, 
uh, Deuteronomy 6, 15, Deuteronomy 29, 20, Deuteronomy 34, 16. Also, you see in uh, 32, 16, I'm sorry. And then also in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, you'll find it in, in 21. Now, they, these are history books, uh, but we also find it uh, in Joshua 24, 19, 1 Kings 14, 22. The prophets talk about this. Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 8, uh, in chapter 16, uh, and, and, and chapter 42, and chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 16, verses 38 and 42, chapter 23 of Ezekiel, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verses 5 through 7, chapter 38 in Ezekiel, uh, verse 19, uh, uh, chapter 39 of Ezekiel, uh, in verse 25. Joel talks about it. Uh, Nahum talks about it. Zephaniah talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. The psalmists talk about it. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So this is not something that God has been silent on it, but undoubtedly Oprah didn't like it, which which tells me that the world didn't like it either. There's a lot of people in the world, if they were honest, I don't like this aspect of God. I don't. And but 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 if you don't like it, it's because you don't understand it. And I say that about myself too. That's not just me, you know. Uh, looking down my nose in a self-righteous attitude, I didn't fully understand this either because why? When I hear the word jealous, I think of the way we see jealousy. Now, I will tell you today that you got to understand something. Even human beings can be jealous in a righteous way. Now, now a lot of times when we're jealous, it's in a sinful way, and I'll tell you the difference. But this same zeal, which is what this is about, this same zeal for God's standard, uh, can even be found in, in the behavior of human beings and it not be sinful. Meaning we have zeal for God's standard and we, we, we have a jealousy about it that we let nothing come against it. And that's not sin. That goes kind of back to what we talked about, about God's wrath and about God's anger, about, you know, we, we think of ourselves being angry and we usually do it sinfully. But you can, even as a human being under the authority of Christ, be indignant about something and have a righteous anger. And now God's anger is always righteous. So this is the same way about his jealousy. His jealousy is also always righteous. So when we see jealousy being attributed to God in Scripture, it is constantly presented as a motive to an action. This is what motivates God to to do what he does, his jealousy, uh, whether in wrath or mercy. You say, what are you talking about? The wrath you can kind of understand, can't you? See, that, that's, it's the mercy that's, to me, confusing. I, I don't know why the world flips that around and thinks God's wrath is confusing, but they ter- totally understand his mercy. I don't know how you come to that conclusion. I think it's just the opposite. But anyway, God is moved to wrath because he is a jealous God, but he's also moved to mercy because he is a jealous God. Uh, matter of fact, um, listen to what he says. <clears throat> this is in uh, Ezekiel, one of, the, one of the chapters and verses I told you. Ezekiel 39, 20, 25 in the King James Version says this, I will be jealous for my holy name. Meaning I'm jealous uh, for my holiness. I will, not, I will not allow anything come against my holy name. And then he says, talking about his mercy again, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Uh, that that's found in Zechariah, 
chapter 1, verse 14. So he says, I'm jealous for my holy name. There's a jealousy that I have about my name. I don't let anything come against me. It's protected. It's sacred. And I am jealous and will let nothing happen to that. Kind of like you see, uh, and then he looks at, at um uh, he, he looks at Jerusalem, he looks at Zion, and he says, and I'm jealous for them, meaning they're mine, they're my chosen people, and I will deal with them harshly, but you won't. You, you, you ever had that happen before? You think, well, you have had that in the family? We may fight amongst each other, but don't come against one of our family members. Suddenly, we'll be protecting them. You know, you don't, we'll all turn on you. Uh, you know, or as my wife has a, a funny uh, T-shirt that she wears, mess with me, mess with the whole trailer park. So, so, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's God saying that he is jealous for his purity and nothing comes against it, but he's also jealous for those that belong to him. And that's where that mercy comes in. Um, so the Lord, and this is what uh, Nahum says, and we talked about this. Nahum says this in, in, in chapter one, when we were studying his, some of his scriptures the other day, the prophet, he says in chapter one, verse two, the Lord is a jealous God and avengeth. So, so he avenges because he is a jealous God. The New Testament, listen to what Paul says. Uh, Paul um, asked the uh, Corinthians, uh, and, and you know, you, when Paul's writing these letters to Corinth, he, he, he's, he's really got a problem, especially in, in 1 Corinthians, but even in 2 as well. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul is trying to figure out how these Corinthians can claim to be the church under the authority of God to the church that Jesus Christ, uh, you know, uh, started when he went to the cross and when he walked out of the tomb. And now the grace age, the church age began. He's saying to the Corinthians, and he's asking them this question, when he sees the open sin that is taking place in in the church of God and in the church of Jesus Christ, and he says this, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? I mean, he's bringing that up. Hey, guys. You think God's just going to sit there and let this go? Or are you going to provoke his jealousy and the protection of the purity of his church? Hey, he's jealous about this church. He's not going to let somebody sit here and blaspheme this church. Are you going to provoke the Lord to jealousy? And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 22, if you want to write that down. So if you look at James uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 5, Look at James chapter 4, verse 5. He yearns jealousy, unto jealousy is the literal word here, unto jealousy. He yearns unto jealousy over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He yearn, like Meaning he's telling, this is James again, talking to his church. You know, you, this is James, the first pastor of a, of a bunch of uh, Christians in Jerusalem and he says, hey, guys, you know, if you walk through the book of, of James, he's talking to people that are in the church. I, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing that. Why is this going on? Why are you treating your employees this way? Whatever. And then he comes back and he says in, in chapter 4, this is right before he tells them to submit themselves then to God, to resist the devil, and he'll flee from them, to come near to God, and he'll come near to you. He's calling for correction in the church. And here's what he says in chapter 4. He says, God yearns unto jealousy over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. You can't treat the Holy Spirit this way. Go, go to Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. What, what does Peter say to Ananias when he tries this scheme, uh, acting like he's a, a member of the church along with his wife? You know what he says? How have you allowed Satan to convince you to, 
to lie to the Holy Spirit. You haven't, you haven't lied to us. You've lied to God. And what, and what happens? We know that God killed them. Why? Because he's jealous about the spirit that he gave over the church. He's jealous of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to let somebody sit here and blaspheme the Holy Spirit without that raising his jealousy. But it's a righteous jealousy because it's protecting the perfect standard. It's protecting holiness. It is responding to those that come against his people or his church, whether within it or on the outside of it. Everybody tracking? So what's the nature of God's jealousy? What's the nature? So remember this, you know, the Bible talks a lot of times because, yes, we're created in God's image, but we are not literally, you know, tiny little gods. And so there's descriptions of God in, in language in the Bible that, that are drawn from, from our life as humans. You hear, you hear the Bible talking about God's arm, God's hand. I just mentioned God's finger, uh, his hearing, seeing, smelling, his tenderness, his anger, uh, repentance, laughter, joy, so on. The reason why God uses these terms, and he does use them, uh, to speak to us about himself is that this is language drawn from our own personal life uh, and it's the most accurate medium that we have for communicating thoughts about him. He understands this. He creates us, so he'll speak to us in, in terms that we can understand. Even though he's not human, we can understand what he's talking about when he talks to us about things that, that are human experience. This is because he's a personal God. He, he, he's personal, and so are we. In, in a way, nothing else uh, in the physical creation is only man uh, of all the physical creatures, was made in God's image. I know some of y'all think animals were, but they weren't. Uh, only human beings were made in God's image. So where you have to be careful, just because God talks in this way, be sure, as J.I. Packer says, don't get the wrong end of the stick, though, thinking that when now he brings up jealousy, he must be talking about the way we're jealous. No. Just because he speaks to us in ways we can understand, don't take that and assign it to everything. We have to remember that man is not the measure of, of our maker. He's the measure of us, but we are not the measure of him. He's trying to talk to us in a way that we can comprehend, but we never take our attributes in the way we see things and then push it on him. Like I, I, what I learned from, from a lot of folks who have taught me and mentored me and, and, and have, have grown me spiritually, one of the things I learned from them, number one, is you can speculate about the Bible, but be sure you always acknowledge that you're speculating. Also, let your theology rise up out of Scripture. Don't take a predisposed theology and force it down on Scripture, which I see that a lot, and I used to do that a lot, and sometimes I make the mistake of doing it now, but, but I, 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 I get convicted and corrected. So we are not the measure of him. He is the measure of us. So when the language of human personal life is used of God, none of the limitations of human beings go with that. God may talk about his hand and his finger and his tenderness, but we don't take the limitations of all that in us and say, well, he must be limited too when he does all that. No, same thing with jealousy. He actually has jealousy under control in the proper righteous way. We may not. So, so make sure that we don't limit God with our creaturehood uh, and, and, and limit our limit of knowledge, our limit of power or foresight or our limit of strength or uh, are apparently, and I look, we all got this as long as we got, we got this flesh still on us, our level of consistency, which sometimes we can be embarrassingly inconsistent. God is not. So anything of that we must throw away, okay? So 
his wrath, and we talked about this in great length. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've already talked about it. But, but an, an example is what we talked about when we did the attribute of God's wrath. His wrath is not outrageous, out-of-control outbursts like we are. Human anger also is, is usually a sign. In most cases, when we're angry, and it would apply to jealousy, when we're angry, when we're jealous, when we're wrathful, it usually, in human beings, it rises up out of the, the original sin, pride. Really, when I get angry, most of the time, I'm, I'm thinking, how dare you treat me that way, as if I'm not worthy of that. Uh, it, I, I, mu- I must defend myself. I must correct myself. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't. And then if you get into jealousy, I don't like that you have something I don't have. I deserve what you have. I'm jealous of that. Uh, I'm jealous that your kid is better at sports than mine, when maybe you worked harder with your kid than I did with mine, but I just don't like that. See, that's sinful jealousy. Uh, our anger many times is sinful anger. Our, 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 our desire to, to punish somebody usually comes from pride. God doesn't have that problem. Uh, he doesn't have our weaknesses. Uh, he is holiness, and this is, this is big. When his wrath is hanger, handed out, when his anger is handed out, if his jealousy is handed out, guess where it comes from? Holiness. It's holiness reacting to evil in a way that is always morally right and glorious. The wrath that comes from God against all that come against holiness is correct. The anger that comes from God that is, that is his holiness against everything that is unholy is correct. His jealousy of his holiness meaning, meaning I will let no one compromise me. I'll let no one come against me. That jealousy is also righteous. His jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is. But, but it actually appears as a literal, I mean literally, praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. you you, you got to get that. God's jealousy does not come from envy. It does not come from weakness. It does not come from pettiness. It does not come from pride. It's zeal. And I want you to get this word zeal. He is zealous. He has zeal because what he is doing is he is preserving his perfectness, his holiness that is supremely precious. And, and that's where this comes from. I don't let anything be compromised about me. I, I have zeal I, and I am jealous against anything that comes against it. I'm jealous of the perfection and I will not let it be compromised. So this kind of goes to our next point, and we touched on it, but let's, let's dig in a little deeper so I think you, you can understand it, because I know I did. There's two sorts of jealousy among humans, and, and only one of them is a vice. If I got your attention, let's walk through this. I know what we think. We, we, we've taken jealousy, and we've said any kind of jealousy is wrong. Shouldn't be jealous. That's not correct. That's incorrect. There is a righteous jealousy even within human beings, and I'll give you some examples. Vicious jealousy is an expression of the attitude of, I want what you got, and that's sinful. I hate you because I haven't got what you have. I'm jealous of your house. I'm jealous of your money. I'm jealous of your children. I'm jealous of your car. I'm jealous of your whatever. I'm jealous of your talents, uh, and I just don't like it. And I don't like, and how about this? The, the worst kind of jealousy is I'm jealous about it. I'm not sure I even want it. I just don't want you to have it. 
And, and, and that, that's, the, that's the sinful jealousy. It's infantile. It's a resentment springing from unmortified covetous. I mean, we are coveting what the other people have, and we're jealous that they have it and we don't. That expresses itself in things like envy, malice, uh, or just good old meanness. You know, sometimes people just mean. I'm, I just, I'm just mean because I don't like that this person has something that I don't have, or they have something I just don't want them to have. So it is uh, terribly potent, for it feeds and is fed by what? We said it. Pride. And underline this. I want you to write this down. Pride is the taproot of our fallen nature. Where, where did it all begin? Lucifer was jealous of his position versus God's. He tries to overthrow God. God uh, throws him down on the earth where he then, he's kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels. He then goes to the human beings and convinces them to sin against God by saying what? He doesn't want you to know what he knows. He, he's got something in this tree that he doesn't want you to have. And you know what? You deserve to have it just like he does. Pride. We want to decide what is right and wrong. We don't, we don't want to let stay under God's authority and let him decide what's right and wrong. When you look at that tree of, of, of good and evil, the, the tree of knowledge, whatever it's been called, human beings convinced by the original rebel and the original, original uh, prideful, jealous creature, Lucifer, now the devil, and, and then Satan, he now convinces them that the reason why God doesn't want you to go to this tree is he wants you to live in this paradise where he decides what's right and wrong, and that ought to be your decision. And, hey, baby, we've been doing that ever since. We'll decide what's right and wrong, not you. We'll decide. So, again, the taproot of, of all of our fallen nature is pride, and that's where sinful jealousy comes from. And that certainly isn't the kind of jealousy that God has in his nature. Uh, anger is a cruel and fury, overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? That is uh, one of the wise men who wrote Proverbs 27, verse 4. Anger is cruel and fury, overwhelming. But listen to this, but who can stand before jealousy? No one when it's the sinful kind of jealousy. But now let's talk about even as human beings, we can have the correct jealousy. Uh, because remember, this is also an attribute of God that he, can, that he can produce in us if we are redeemed. There's another kind of jealousy, and it's, called, uh, it's back to being zealous or having zeal. What? Well, listen, zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when it's broken. This jealousy also operates in the sphere of sexual intimacy inside a marriage. Uh, and, and now it does not appear as a blind reaction of wounded pride, but as the fruit of marital affection. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. May marriage be held in a place of honor by all, by everyone. And may the marriage bed never be defiled. So if I, in my marriage, I, am, I have zeal for God's standard and you try to come into my marriage, or if you're, uh, or as my wife would stand up, try to come in between our marriage, either one of us, and whoever tried to come against our marriage and God's standard, we would be jealous in a righteous way 
that we do not allow anyone to, to, to have an inappropriate relationship with our spouse, and we stand in a righteous jealousy protecting our marriage. That's righteous because that is God's standard. That is the kind of jealousy he has about his holiness. That's the kind of jealousy he has about his church. That's the kind of jealousy. And and you're going to see this. You do realize the Lord God Almighty uses this analogy about those of us who are unfaithful to him, and it gets ugly of what he refers to those that uh, are not faithful to the relationship of the church, the bride, and the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He refers to us when we wonder as an unfaithful bride. So even in the earthly marriage of man and woman, and if you don't see that going on right now in our in our society, you think it's just a happenstance that the adversary and the wickedness of this world is trying its best to destroy God's standard of marriage? Do you think that's just kind of a, I guess that's just a random thought by evil? No. It's going after something that God has deemed holy and something that he has zeal for because it's the same analogy used for our Lord and Savior, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. And it has always been the standard that God looks through his people and him. It's a marriage relationship. And he loves marriage, and anybody who comes against it Ought to, ought, to be, ought, ought to run into a righteous jealousy from us and God. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Professor Tasker has written, married persons who felt no jealousy at the intrusion of a lover or an adulterer into their home would surely be lacking in moral perception for the, exclus- the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. That's what makes marriage marriage is exclusiveness. Jesus himself, Jesus himself on the Sermon on the Mount, and then again in the, in, 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 uh, in, uh, uh, later in, uh, I think, chapter 19 of Matthew, he even says, I, I do not allow divorce, and divorce is a sin. And then Jesus says, unless, un- Jesus, unless, Someone has violated, violated the exclusiveness of it. Now, I know many marriages that this has happened, and forgiveness was found, and the marriages are doing great. That doesn't mean it's a get-out-of-marriage-free card. But Jesus Christ acknowledges that the, the attack of the intimacy of a man and a woman is so severe, they may not be able to survive it. And if they can't, and they can't get past it, I understand. Because it, it, it's, it causes so much damage. So here is Professor Tasker in, in his book, The Epistle of James, and he says, if you're really married under the authority of Christ, and you're married and you have joined together in holy matrimony, and you don't have jealousy of an intrusion and to the sexual intimacy and purity of that marriage, you probably lack in moral perception, and you don't understand God's design for marriage. You ought to have jealousy against anybody coming against your marriage, and it's a righteous jealousy. And if you don't have it, 
you don't really understand the holiness of marriage. So see, when a husband is jealous about anybody coming after his wife, or a wife is jealous about anybody who comes after her husband, those people have a righteous jealousy because they're protecting the sanctity of what God calls holy. Now, they're not overreacting. They're not being petty. They're protecting, and they have zeal for what God has deemed holy and what God said nobody should come against. And for a marriage bed that God said better not be defiled. And anybody who defiles it will have to answer to him. So there's two kinds of jealousy even in the human experience. So Scripture consistently views God's jealousy as being of the latter kind, not the first kind, obviously. And that is in an aspect of his covenant love for his own people. The Old Testament regards God's covenant as his marriage with Israel. And we have the same type covenant with his marriage to the church, carrying with it a demand for unqualified love and loyalty. The worship of idols was always an issue in the Old Testament. And God always saw it as his people compromising with, with the non-Israelite idolaters, and this constituted in God's eyes disobedience, remember I said a minute ago, unfaithfulness, which God saw as spiritual adultery, provoking him to jealousy and vengeance. He always sees either his people in the old covenant, that was, that was the chosen people of Israel, when they went after other gods and they went, out, went with other people who blasphemed him, he said that spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness. And now in the church age, all of us who claim to be redeemed but through his grace, by his grace, through our faith in him, if we claim that we have faith in him and him alone, if we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and we exclusively want to be redeemed and then thus being made perfect in his image, fully righteous. Now we belong to him, the bride, the church, and he is the bridegroom. When we betray that relationship, we bring God's jealousy and vengeance because we have been an unfaithful bride. All the mosaic references to God's jealousy have to do with idol worship in one form or another, and they all hark back to the sanction of that second commandment, I am a jealous God. I don't share my people with other gods. I don't share my glory with other gods. I don't share my holiness with other gods. I am a jealous God, and I'm exclusive in my relationship to my people. And um, that's something important to note. Now, you say, well, I don't worship any uh, other gods. Well, you may not have a God that you made out of wood that you go and bow down to at your house or some Asher pole out in your backyard. But anything, anything that we love more, that we fear more, that we serve more, that we value more than God is an idol. And it leads to us being an unfaithful bride. And he sees it as spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness. And he's a jealous God. The same is true, you see, in Joshua 24, 19, 1 Kings 14, 22, 
Psalm 78, 58, and of course in the New Testament, I just told you about the church at Corinth uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 22. Back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel talks about this in chapter 8, verse 3. An idol worshipped in Jerusalem is called the image of jealousy, which provokes jealousy. When we're worshiping something other than God, we are worshiping an image of jealousy, and it provokes God's righteous jealousy. And you've seen this in Ezekiel 16. I mean, I know some of you may have this on your house, so I have to be careful. Even some of the, the things that God says about this, not because he doesn't have the right to say it, it just may, may not lead to a conversation you want to have with your children or something in the home. But God depicts Israel as his adulterous wife embroiled in unholy liaisons with idols and idolaters, uh, the idolaters of Canaan, Egypt, and Assyria, and pronounces the sentence as follows. Listen to this. Here's what he says when they chased after the gods of Canaan, Egypt, and Assyria. I will judge you as women who break wedlock and shed blood are judged, and I will bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I see you as an adulterous wife, and I'll bring and I will bring on my that will bring me me to wrath, and it will bring my jealousy. From these passages, we plainly uh, see what God meant by telling Moses that His name was jealous. He meant that He demands from those whom He has loved and redeemed utter and absolute loyalty, and He will vindicate His claim by stern action against them if they betray his love and continue in unfaithfulness. Wow. Look at this. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, look what happens in in Numbers chapter 25, the book of Numbers chapter 25. We have God's people, uh, and and I won't use the word that's used here if you have children in the room, but it's... um, it's a word that is known uh, for a woman who is loose. And it says that his people begin to commit this unfaithfulness with the daughters of Moab. The men there begin to sleep with women who, who were uh, evil and idol worshipers. And they invited them uh, to, to uh, the men went with them to the sacrifices to their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And God says in verse 3, so Israel yoked himself to Baal, uh, and uh, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. He's cursing Israel, and he said, If you don't do something with these men that are committing adultery with these Moab women, the Moabites, then, then I'm going to put a curse on you until you deal with them. Uh, my jealousy and my anger burns against you. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a, a, Midian, a, a Midianite woman to his family. So Moses is coming out, and God's really mad at all this. And, and, and God says, I want you to kill these men and hang them out here in the sun, and then I'll lift the curse. While all this is going on, and Moses is telling uh, that he's telling the judges to start doing this. One guy just walks up with this with this woman and takes her into his tent 
uh, right there in front of what's going on with these judges and with Moses. And listen at 6. So Moses saw this, and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping uh, in the entrance of the tent of meeting, when this is, the, this is one of the, uh, the, the priests, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, and son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose, he left the congregation. Now he's going over to the guy's tent. You see him going over there? This guy just walks in with another one of these loose women uh, that he's going to go sleep with in his tent while all this is going on, exactly what God said not to do. And, it, and, here, and so Phinehas gets up, he rose, left the congregation, he took a spear in his hand, listen to this, and he went after the man uh, uh, of Israel into the chamber, and this visual will show you what was going on in there. He walks into this man's chamber, and he pierces both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. He killed him in the act. And I want you to listen to what God's response to that was. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And listen to what, 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 uh, what God said about Phinehas. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. Are you ready? Everybody still with me? In that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. You know what he said? That's what I needed done. That's somebody who was finally understanding how serious this was to blaspheme me like this. I'm a jealous God, and Phineas was jealous on my behalf, and he carried out my jealousy into the people. He did what I asked you to do, and now my wrath will be lifted. It sounds like all this is an extremely big deal. For God's ultimate objective, as the Bible declares, is threefold. To vindicate his rule and righteousness by showing his sovereignty and judgment upon sin. To ransom and redeem his chosen people. And to be loved and praised by them for his glorious acts of love and self-vindication. That's it in a nutshell. God's objective, as the Bible declares, is, is basically threefold. He's going to vindicate his rule and righteousness by showing that he is sovereign and his judgment upon sin. But then listen to this. So we got to get that part to understand the next part. Then to ransom, praise his holy name, and redeem his chosen people, and then to be loved and praised by them for his glorious acts of love and self-vindication. I'm righteous in my judgment on sin. I offer you redeem, redemption from that judgment. And then when I redeem you from that judgment, I expect you to praise me and be thankful for it. Is that how you live your life? Is that how I live my life? His jealousy and all of its manifestations is precisely what? The zeal of the Lord Almighty for fulfilling his own purpose of justice and mercy. God's jealousy leads him on, on the one hand to judge and destroy the faithless among his people who fall into idolatry and sin. We find this in Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15. 
Joshua talks about it in chapter 24, verse 19 and 20. Zephaniah talks about this in chapter 1, verse 18. And indeed, to judge the enemies of righteousness and mercy everywhere. We see this throughout Scripture. It also leads him, on the other hand, to restore his people after national judgment has chastened and humbled them, chastened, I'm sorry, and humbled them. Meaning, if you see this in the Old Testament, it happens all the time. He, he, he gives out his love to his chosen people. They go after other gods. He then punishes them. He chastens them for doing it. He humbles them. They come back to him. He's willing to forgive. And, and, then, and then he sets them right where they should be. And then finally, we know that the time of this kind of, 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 of grace in the New Testament will also end. His name in, is his nature. In the character of Jehovah, the Lord, rule of history, guardian of righteousness and savior of sinners. And, and, and God means his name to be known and honored and praised. And he's jealous uh, with, with, with the honor and the praise that only he deserves. I am the Lord, he says. This is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. That is the nutshell of his jealousy. I, I, I will not do it. Isaiah 42, verse 8. Read it. Isaiah 48, verse 11. So what's our response to this as we get ready to close this week? Well, you heard, you heard what he just said. I'll tell you what one of it is. The jealousy of God requires us to be zealous for God. Are you? Do you just let people blaspheme God? Do you let people just take his name and blaspheme it in your presence? Do you just allow this kind of behavior to go on and you just keep on hanging around people that continue to blaspheme God without ever defending God? Will you defend God in the public arena? We're called to do so. I love Bishop J.C. Ralph. You ever read any of his books? It's a deep dive. Listen to what he said about us being zealous for our jealous God. Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, and to advance His glory in the world in every way possible. It is a desire which no man feels by nature. I love this. If you're not redeemed, if you've never been changed by God, you don't have this desire, you don't have this zeal to defend him. It doesn't happen to us by nature, not by our sin nature. So the Spirit, J.C. Ryle says, puts this in the heart of every believer when he is or she is converted. But which some believers feel so much more strongly than others, and that they alone deserve to be called zealous men meaning be careful that you don't think that you are the, the one who's zealous and no one else is. But the bigger point that Ryle is making is this does not happen to us naturally. The reason you don't have any zeal for God may be that you don't know him. You might know about him, but you just may not know him. You may never really been redeemed by him. Do you have that, that burning zeal in your spirit, Jeremiah 20, verse 9? There's a fire that's shut up in my bones, and even when I don't want to talk about you, I still do. Why did Jeremiah keep defending God when everybody blasphemed him, even though they all hated Jeremiah for doing it? Why didn't he just stop? 
He even says in chapter 20 that he wants to stop. I don't want to do this anymore because I don't like the reaction I get from the world. But then what does he say? But I can't help it. There is a zeal. There is a passion that burns up in my bones. So I have to talk about you. I have to defend you. I can't stop. Are you that way? Does it, do you just, does it just make you cringe to hear anybody be unfaithful and blaspheme the jealous God that you serve? It should. What's the next one? The jealousy of God threatens churches which are not zealous for him. Ooh. Take the book of Revelation and uh, go over to, uh, to chapter 3, and you probably know where I'm going. The church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea, which, um, which, which represents um, um, an issue that a lot of churches have, and that is that you're delusional about where, who you really are. And what we see here in verse 15 is that God says to the church at Laodicea, you're delusional. You, you do not have zeal for me. The way you are doing church, I'm not even there. It says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, you're neither one, I spit you out of my mouth. You know what he's dealing with here in the church at Laodicea? Can I tell you what he's dealing with right here? Self-satisfying apathy. You ever been in a church like that? We are so full of ourselves. We are satisfied with where we are. We got our programs. We got our the way we do things. We wouldn't veer off a of service if our life depended on it. And we got money, and we got blessings, and we got all these beautiful people. And God says, but you have no zeal for me. You, you don't defend me in the public arena. You don't want to make trouble. You're comfortable. You're apathetic. We are good. And what really you're, you're having here is you ha- you're having no impact for the kingdom. I wish you would at least be hot. I can do something with hot water. I wish you would at least be cold. You, those, hot water and cold water serve purpose. Lukewarm water serves no purpose. So I spit you out of my mouth. You're delusional about where you are. You may sound respectable, but you're lukewarm. There's nothing holy about you. You don't have zeal for me. You're not engaging the culture in defending me. You're trying to lay low and not make trouble so you can go on and have your service again. And you can do all the stuff you got on the calendar during that week. All you really are is some spiritual social club. You're not a church. And I've heard it preached many times, and there's certainly nothing wrong with this, but it's not, it's not biblically correct. In verse 20, when you see Jesus talking about the church at Laodicea, the church that lacks the zeal for God. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I've heard people preach that as Jesus knocking on your heart, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm, it's not my place to say, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is knocking on the door of his church. He's knocking on the door of the church at Laodicea. He's knocking on the door of the church that has lost its zeal for God. And you know why he's knocking on the door? Because he's not there. Who will get up and come let me in? 
who will be who who will have zeal for me? Who's ready to either be hot or cold and to get up out of the congregation and come to this door and let me back into the church? You are having church, but I'm no part of it. It's not a redemption message. It's a redemption message for the church. But Jesus is not standing and knocking at the door of your heart. He's knocking at the door of his church. And he's knocking at the door of the church that has lost its zeal for him. Let's close with this. Acts 24. Let's go to the book of Acts. I love this verse. As a matter of fact, it was shown to me by one of my dearest friends as his favorite verse. And I got to reading it and loving it just like he does. And I'm thankful that he showed it to me. And this is what this is Paul summing up his zeal for the gospel. Write this down. Acts 20, 24. And this is what we'll close with this week. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, see, that zeal, if you don't consider your life to have any value unless you defend the gospel, unless you go make disciples, unless you say, I have so much zeal for you, I am so thankful for your redemption, let me tell you something, I will defend you against all who come against you, I will advance your kingdom, and I would rather be in good standing with you, God, than with good standing with the world. I don't live my life to be sure I don't offend people. I live my life to be sure I don't offend you because you are a jealous God. And may I never be found to be an unfaithful bride to you. And Paul says, my life is of no value. It is not precious to me if I don't finish the course in the ministry that I received from Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's all that gives my life value. Is that how you feel? Is, 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 is this something, your relationship with God, something that you get to when everything else you really care about is tended to? Or is this at the center of your life and the only thing that makes your life worth any value? You serve a jealous God. And he expects us to know that characteristic of his jealousy, and in us it creates a zealous attitude concerning him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. We stand um, corrected by you when we read your word. How silly I feel right now to think that this these things, these characteristics, and these attributes of yours are, are mentioned here or there throughout Scripture. The more you force me to study, the more I realize that you really know how to drive a point home. And if I haven't gotten it, it's not because you haven't told me about it. It's because, it's because I haven't taken the time to learn it and to listen. Apply these things to us, Lord. Forgive us of our unfaithfulness. Forgive us for our adultery against you and mold us into a faithful bride. 
and continue to refine us to be people that can be trusted to never turn against you, to never try to overthrow you, to never try to take the place that only belongs to you. You are holy. You are worthy of praise. You are glorious. We are not. We lowly come before you. We're wretched. We're sinners. We ask for forgiveness. And teach us, Lord, how we can glorify you. You give us the power to do so. We defend you against all who come against you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to be with us. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com. Talk to you next week.